Have you ever noticed this about yourself? Have you ever noticed that there's a gap between realizing you need to do something and the time that you actually do it? Oh, it's just me. Okay, I see how it is. That's all right. Come on, we all know what that's like, that gap between, hmm, it's just got to change and actually doing it. There's a study done uh, in this very regard several years ago of people who had heart bypass surgery. Major surgery, right? All the patients heard their doctor say the same exact thing. This is a temporary fix. You need to make some lifestyle changes if you want to be here very long. I've bought you some time, but you need to lose some weight. You need to quit smoking. You need to drink less. You need to eat better, exercise, whatever. Like, I bought you time. This is not going to fix everything. And all the patients went, Doc, you're right. Thank you so much. I'm going to make the changes. The study went back and found what had happened two years later. Anyone want to make a guess on what they found? 90% of the people had not changed anything about their lifestyle. They all heard the same thing. They all even went on the record and said, I need to change. Did they change? No. And is that, that's like all of us. It's not just people who have heart bypass surgery. Here's the crazy thing to me. All of them said, I'm still going to make those changes. Like, what, what are you waiting for? Another heart attack? Do you want to see how close you can get to seeing Jesus? Do you want to see the light before you actually go, okay, 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 I'm going to make the changes. Now, I am not throwing rocks. And if you are somebody who's actually had heart bypass surgery and didn't make any lifestyle changes after, hey, I get it. I, I've not had that experience, but I've had plenty of things in my own life where I know I need to do something different and I'm going to get around to it, but I just don't yet. And you probably do too, whether it be something about the car and you hear the noise and I really ought to get to the mechanic, but I'm just going to turn the radio up louder, or it's the finances. You got really ought to balance a checkbook, but I'm just going to go with there probably is enough in there to make it. You know, we do this in so many areas of life. There's this gap between what we know we should do and the time when we actually do it. The gap between we know this needs to change and actually doing something to make it change, to seek the help, to ask for the advice, to whatever it be. And here's the thing that even gets in the way of that. Simply knowing that you need to make a change often numbs you and me to making the change. How does that work? Oh, look, I've done most of the work now. I have recognized that I have a problem. And so we pat ourselves on the back, give ourselves a big attaboy. Okay, I've recognized I've got an issue. I'm already thinking about fixing it. So that should give me credit. It doesn't actually make anything better. It is a good step in the right direction. But if you don't follow up conviction with action, then you're still in the place that you were. And it's not always a good place. Conviction should always lead to action. And the quicker you can close that gap between the time of realizing you need to do something and actually doing it, the better off you will be. Amazing things can happen when you close that gap and when you start figuring out what do I need to do with what I've become aware of. The fact that we are here today is really in a direct result of somebody feeling conviction about something and closing that gap very quickly. So this is about 200 years ago and for all of you who are about to tune me out because you're like 200, it's actually 210 years ago, just things that I'm about to talk about happened in the summer of uh, 1812, but this is really cool and it's why we together as a church are here today. Uh, This is maybe more than 210 years ago. An Irish Presbyterian minister named Thomas Campbell immigrated to the United States with his wife. At the time that I'm talking about, Thomas was about my age, uh, maybe a few years younger than me. Moved to the United States, was just deeply disturbed at what he saw here. 
in Pennsylvania in that area because he'd left a place in, in Ireland and Europe where the churches were incredibly divided by denominations and there was a lot of fighting and the churches never really could do what churches were supposed to do because they were too busy arguing with each other. And he thought maybe it would be different in the United States and it wasn't. Everybody's dividing their churches and dividing again. And he started to get this idea what if we really took Jesus seriously? Because the night before Jesus died, he prayed, Lord, make them one so that they'll realize that we, Jesus and God, are one, that, we, that our churches could reach the whole world for Jesus instead of fighting with each other. And he realized a lot of the things the churches were fighting over were from the Bible. They were the traditions that had grown up for 1,800 years since. So he said, what if we could just drop all the denominations and just be Christians? What if we just went to the Bible and said, we're going to follow that and agree to disagree on all the other stuff? So he's having this thought in his head. He meanwhile has a son named Alexander who has also just recently become a minister. He went to seminary. He hasn't made it to the United States yet with his wife. Uh, and Alexander is having the same thoughts, but he doesn't know that his dad's having that because he's just gone through seminary and he's seen fellow students just nitpicking and fussing at each other and tearing each other down over stupid things. Sorry, I shouldn't say stupid, but there's just dumb things that really don't matter. And, and he was thinking, why don't we just go to the Bible and just use that? Well, he emigrated to the United States with his wife and got here, and Thomas and Alexander found out that they were on the same page with each other. Now, Alexander was about my kid's age, so just picture a guy my age and a son who's newly a minister. They're so excited. They both had the same epiphany. And then this became a real turning point for Alexander, and he felt a point of conviction, and here's what happened. He and his wife were expecting. They're going to have a little baby, which they did. And Alexander starts thinking, I've just gone public with all these other people around me that I'm just going to follow the Bible only. But guess what I don't find in the Bible? Sprinkling babies. The only time I see somebody being baptized, it was by immersion and it was somebody who already believed. In other words, a young person, a teenager, an adult. Okay. He now has this sense of conviction. This is Alexander, 20-something-year-old guy. He starts studying it out. He starts talking to his wife about it. He says, honey, I got to tell you, I'm a minister, and in good conscience, I can't baptize my own kid. She studied it out. She came to the same conclusion. We shouldn't do that. In fact, she says to him, we're telling other people now that they should be baptized, and we've never been baptized ourselves. We should do this. So Alexander has the hard conversation with his dad. Thomas says, Dad, I know you've sprinkled me, but I need to be baptized in obedience to, to Jesus. It's in the Bible. Thomas at this point said, we're in the house of God. We don't have to go out and come back in through the right door. We're fine. So he didn't want to be baptized, but if you want to do it, son, you can. So Alexander found a Baptist minister who would baptize him, and they set the date. Alexander goes with his wife, and he sees his younger sister, Dorothea, on the way, and she catches him, pulls him aside, and says, I need to talk to you about something. She has no idea what Alexander's been thinking through all these weeks. She says, I've been reading the Bible, and I think I need to be baptized. Will you talk to dad for me? No idea is this happening. So, there, so now the baptism is going to be at Brushy Run Creek out in the middle of the country, and it's Alexander and his wife and his sister Dorothea. There's another couple that's going to be baptized. There's going to be five of them. They stop by Thomas's house, dad's house. Dad and mom come out. They're carrying a change of clothes. They've prayed about it and decided they need to be baptized too because he's a minister. He's telling other people, you should be baptized, so I should be baptized. So seven of them went to Brushy Run Creek in June of 1812, went down into the water up to their shoulders, and there was a huge crowd because they told the whole town. Everybody came out to see the preachers being baptized, and they leaned forward into the water, and they came out, and it was a great, joyous celebration because they 
acted on their convictions, this was one of the many things that started what we are now, the restoration movement, a movement that says we're not the only Christians, but we're Christians only. And where the Bible speaks, we speak. And where it's silent, we're silent. And we do Bible things, Bible ways, which comes to the point of baptism. We'll even admit, if we've got this wrong, if our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ says to do it, the moment of conviction has hit me, I'm going to step forward, even if it means for my whole life I've been a minister saying one thing, I'm going to do the right thing. And here we are. And uh, we have, we have as, I just want to say this is not really in the sermon, but I want you to know that wherever you go to church, we're on Team Jesus. As long as you believe as Jesus is Lord and God sent him to this earth to save humanity and the Holy Spirit fills anyone who accepts him, we're brothers and sisters. Connections on Team Jesus along with any other church. So we love you whatever church you go to. We're not trying to create another denomination here. We're just trying to get people to be followers of Jesus. That's our whole mission. And when we do a good job of following Jesus, we can, instead of arguing with each other, we can get out there and actually invite people who don't yet know how good Jesus is to come, as Truman said, sit at the table. There's a spot pulled up for you, and we can't wait to hear your story. So that's what happens when conviction leads to action. And I want to take you to a verse in the Bible, and actually a story that's in the Bible, that another person did this as well. This is in Acts chapter 8. As you're turning there, I just want you to see and just reflect on what we uh, talked about last week. We want to talk about the conviction that leads to baptism. Last week, we talked about how Jesus, the very first thing he did when he started his ministry at 30 years of age was to go to the Jordan River, and he was immersed in water in baptism. And God approved of this. And the very last thing that Jesus said as he left his planet three years later to his own disciples, he said, I want you to go into all the world, and you make disciples of all the nations, and you baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them everything I taught you, and I'll be with you always to the end of the age. And the disciples went out and they did that. And in Acts chapter 8, we find an example of how they, they did this. So in Acts chapter 8, verse 26, we find these words. As for Philip, an angel of the Lord said to him, go south down to the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out and he met the treasurer of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Kandake, or you might, your Bible might say Candace, the queen of Ethiopia. The eunuch had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and he was now returning. And seated in his carriage, he was reading aloud from the book of the prophet Isaiah. He's, he's reading a verse that you have in your own Bible. You can, if you have a paper version, you can go to Isaiah the prophet right now, and you can see what he was reading, and you can read the same thing. This, uh, this highway from Jerusalem down to Gaza, 50 miles long. If you imagine you're at the Gateway Arch, you get on Interstate 44 and just start driving. When you hit St. Clair, you've run the Gaza Road from Jerusalem to Gaza. And this man from Ethiopia is on it. Now, 2,000 years ago, what they called Ethiopia is not what we call Ethiopia now. It's actually from, he's from the Sudan. Very influential, powerful man. He's got great authority. He works for the queen of Ethiopia. So what is he doing in Jerusalem, worshiping? Well, he would probably grew up a black man in Africa, converted at some point to Judaism. Judaism center was in Jerusalem. People would go worship the one true God at the temple in Jerusalem. So he had been there as a Jewish convert, maybe a once in a lifetime kind of a trip to worship God. And he's very open to spiritual things at this point. And you see that in the fact that as he's taking his car ride, he's being shuttled back home, that he's reading the Bible. And here's the cool thing about God. He's always looking for anyone who's open to him. And this man is seeking God. And when you seek God, you find him. And when you seek God, God leads you to Jesus. And God sometimes will even put someone in your path to help you learn more about God, which is what happened here. Philip is sent by the Holy Spirit. Hey, there's a guy I need you to go talk to. He wants to know about God. 
You need to tell them about Jesus. And I don't know if you've found that in your life, that if you are a follower of Jesus, sometimes God will put someone in your path that needs to hear about Jesus from you. And you need to be open to that. Don't go, oh, wait a minute, let me go get Pastor Brian. Wait a minute, let me get my phone out and you can watch a sermon. No, if God put you in someone's path, it's up to you to tell them about Jesus. And it's exactly what happened here with Philip. Verse 29, the Holy Spirit said to Philip, go over, walk alongside the carriage. So Philip ran over. He heard the man reading from the prophet Isaiah, and Philip asked, hey, you understand what you're reading? The man replied, how can I unless someone instructs me? And he urged Philip, come up in the carriage to sit with him. I kind of like to imagine what this looked like. It's not like they're running down the interstate at 65 miles an hour. That would be creepy. Philip's running alongside the car. Hey, what are you listening to in there? He's just trotting along in the carriage. He's got someone driving for him. He's got a chauffeur, and he's reading out loud. I imagine it says kind of Philip's kind of running alongside it, and it was a pleasant conversation. It wasn't like, man, I'm about to get carjacked or chariot jacked here. He's, it's a good conversation, and Philip realizes he's reading that, and he's like, hey, you understand that? And it's a good banter here because the guy's like, how can I unless I have a teacher? In other words, it's like, get on up in this chariot. Tell me what I'm reading here. It seems like you're a man who knows what he's talking about. So he pulls him up in the chariot, and it says right here that Philip starts to explain it to him. And uh, it's for, like, this is your lucky day. I actually understand what you're reading here. Acts 8.32, the passage of Scripture he had been reading was this. See if this sounds familiar to any of you. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. As a lamb is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. He was humiliated and received no justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. And then the, the eunuch asks a really good question. The eunuch asks Philip, tell me, was the prophet talking about himself or someone else? And I get goosebumps still. At that point in time, the eunuch was reading something that had been written 800 years before. Isaiah the prophet wasn't talking about himself. God gave Isaiah a vision of the future, and for some ways, I don't know what it looked like, but he was allowed to see what happened to Jesus when he was crucified. So Isaiah wrote down these words 800 years before what was done to Jesus happened, and now an Ethiopian man is reading a description of what had happened in Jerusalem, the place he had just left maybe months or a few years before. Hey, can you explain to me, is Isaiah talking about himself or someone else? And, and Philip says, actually, he's talking about someone else. His name is Jesus. Let me tell you about him. And so Philip does. And he started with that very scripture, which is cool. And for those of you who are leaders in this church, and many of you are, and some of you are very gifted and you're knowledgeable, can you take someone from any scripture that they start with and bring them to Jesus? If you can't, don't worry about it, but get studying Right now, I want you to feel conviction. And there's a gap between your knowledge and what you can talk about. Fill that gap in. Figure out how would I talk to somebody about Jesus if they had a question. You don't have to wait till they ask it. It's okay to say, I don't know, but you can also prepare. And Philip does an amazing job. By the way, let's just clear this up. We're talking about Philip here, and you might be going, that name sounds familiar to me too. Is Philip one of the 12 apostles of Jesus? Well, not this Philip. There's two guys with the same name. This is Philip who was a deacon in the church. He wasn't even one of the 12 apostles. He's a deacon who got selected later to be a church leader, and he also can talk knowledgeably about Jesus. I'm just, I want to just kind of lay it out here for you. All of you should be able to talk about Jesus at some level. If you've been following Jesus more than five minutes, you've already got a basis to work off of. So no excuses. We're going to work on this, right? 
Because God's going to put someone in your path who needs to hear from you about Jesus. You don't have to you know, go to seminary to do this. You just need to think about, well, how would I tell somebody about Jesus? What would I say about my story? So Philip taught this man a gospel lesson. And here's the Ethiopian's response. It's down in verse 36. As they rode along, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, hey, look, there's some water. Why can't I be baptized? Which, if you're kind of reading, you go back and go, I don't remember Philip saying anything about baptism. Apparently, as he started in Isaiah and he started teaching him about Jesus, he told him about being immersed into Jesus because the eunuch says, hey, I'm ready to be baptized. Can we do this? He ordered the carriage to stop. They went down in the water, and Philip baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. The eunuch never saw him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Now, I'm going to just work my way backwards from this verse because I've had people ask me this, and I'm just going to go ahead and start with, I don't know, because you're thinking, Philip got snatched away. What did that look like? Did like one moment he's there and poof, he's gone? That's what it sounds like to me. Does it not sound like that to you? That may be what happened. The Holy Spirit may have miraculously taken him from here and took him somewhere else. It could be that Philip got out of the chariot and he just took off running in a different direction and the Ethiopian never crossed paths with him. So if you're wondering about that, I don't know, but it's entirely possible that he just disappeared. And so it says, though, that they went down into the water. Scholars have picked out along that highway, there's several places where it could have been where they went into a spring-fed lake and, and did this baptism. I want you to notice that Philip took him down into the water the, the word baptism literally means immersion, so there was enough water there to do like what uh, Thomas and Alexander Campbell and their families did. They went down in the water, and they went under the water. And uh, apparently, the Ethiopian was a kind of guy who was an executive. Hey, I believe this Jesus guy sounds like the real deal. I'm going to commit my life to him. I've been looking for God my whole life, and I'm going to follow him. And the Ethiopian didn't say, you know what I think I need to do? I need to follow Jesus. So when I get back home to Ethiopia, when I can get a change of clothes and maybe I can get some people gathered around, then I'll do my baptism. He's like, no, right now, I'm going to get in the water. You and me, Philip, we're going to go down there. You baptize me. I'm going to get this done. And what we know from church history is this man not only was an influential leader in government and, uh, you know, like second to the queen, but that he was then from that point forward influential for Jesus and Apparently, his influence led a lot of other people to Jesus as well. And what we see here is he followed the biblical pa- pattern. Every Christian in the book of Acts who became a Christian followed the same pattern. They first believed in Jesus, and they expressed their belief by baptism into Jesus. They trusted Jesus, and they called on him, and then they went into the water, and they declared their faith in Jesus by reenacting the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus by being immersed into him. Now, as I said before, baptism is a... It's an interesting word because we've taken a Greek word from the Greek New Testament and just brought it literally into English. We just took all the Greek letters and made English letters out of it. So if you're reading a Greek New Testament, you're literally going to see baptizo, baptism. But if you were reading an English Bible, it was truly translated. It should say that Philip and Ethiopian went into the water and Philip immersed him in the water. Because that's what baptizo means. It means to immerse something in water. So you may ask, okay, so why does Connection Christian Church immerse people? We do it because that's what every biblical baptism was. It was an immersion in water. So we're just carrying out the command of Jesus, the example of Jesus. It's to go into the water and to to confess Christ as Lord and be immersed into him. And so it's the Ethiopian story. It's every Christian in the book of Acts story. It's Thomas and Alexander Camel's story and all theirs. It was my story. When I was a little kid, my parents were going to a church at a time when I was little. They practiced sprinkling. It might even have been a Presbyterian church. I don't know. But my parents felt like it was really important to have me sprinkled, and I appreciated that. But I, I kind of remember the day that I was sprinkled, but it meant nothing to me really spiritually. 
I remember my parents very distinctly saying, Brian, this is like I was four years old. Don't laugh. What did little four-year-old Brian do? Pastor hits me with the sprinkle of water. That, let's just be honest, is the funniest thing. And this church, bless their heart, they, they liked the wood fixtures, wood floors, wood pews, wood ceiling, wood beams. That snicker echoed through that church for like 10 seconds. I could see my mom like, yeah, I told you about this. So later in my life, when I knew more and I knew that Jesus had actually called on me when I wanted to follow him to do something in response to that, it just like a light bulb within one week, one Sunday, I saw somebody be baptized. The next week, I knew it was time for me to be baptized. So on December 12th, I got in the water and I was baptized. My immersion, on my own choice, calling on Jesus to save me. I don't know at what point I became a part of God's family. That's up to God. But I do know at what point I was obedient to him. And there's a line drawn. There's a date marked on my calendar, at least, to say, I did this. I committed. There's Gary Johnson. He's a pastor. He was a pastor in Indianapolis. Talked about a friend of his who got baptized in his 90s. And this man came out of the water. And one of the first things he said was, Lord, I'm so sorry. I don't know why I waited so long to obey you. I don't know if maybe as you hear the teaching of this and maybe you go like, you know what? I don't know that I know everything, but I'm convinced enough that I should become a Christian. Your next step is to get in the water. When you believe enough to say, I'm going to trust him and trust me. And I think everyone else in the room who's been a Christian for a while will tell you this too. You're never going to have all the answers. You're never going to have complete knowledge. The Bible even warns us about that. You won't have complete knowledge until we see the Lord with our own eyes. Until then, it's a little bit of faith. It's a little bit of trust. But we live life with trust. Is there enough there for you to believe and commit to this man, Jesus? Do you believe that he loves you? Do you believe that he will save you? Do you believe he's telling you the truth about what is to come? Commit to him. Call on him to save you. Let him be your Lord and your leader. And then get in the water. Go public with your faith. You know what Jesus said? This is in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 32. Jesus said, everyone who acknowledges me publicly here on earth, hey, I'll I'll acknowledge you before my Father in heaven. There's just a biblical pattern here, belief followed by baptism. There's a biblical pattern here of just trusting him and doing something with that. The way God planned it, baptism is to be your first of many steps in your spiritual journey. It's the thing that God gives you as a gift. It's like when you get married to someone and you have that ceremony. Do you technically have to have a ceremony? No. Is it a beautiful time to express your love and commitment, to exchange rings, to share vows? Absolutely. If you've uh, never been baptized, today could be your day. There's that gap between what you kind of now know you should do. The Holy Spirit may even be pushing you saying, come on. This is going to be okay. You need to do this. Close the gap. Don't let there be a long gap of months or years between the time of knowing you should do something and actually doing it. And the Lord loves you. He has so much grace for you. He knows how much time he has to work with you. But I've just always found the sooner I obey, the better. And um, as a friend of mine always said, I've done obedience and I've done disobedience. And obedience always is just better in the end. You just don't ever regret it. And you might be thinking, look, I don't know if this is the right time. I get it. Maybe you have some more questions. You want to talk to somebody. We're good with that. Maybe instead of just leaving today, you go to the hub and you start the conversation that ends with you in the water next week. And you might think, well, I don't know if I should do this in front of everybody because, like, what are people going to think about me? They're going to think I'm some kind of sinner. Yeah. (laughs) 
but have you looked at who's sitting around you? <laughs> You're in good company. It's okay. You know, we've got a lot of sinners around here. It's okay because Jesus doesn't call anybody else to follow him except sinners. If hypocrites and people who've colored outside the lines, they're all welcome at his table. And he wants you to be part of that. So I don't know who first said this, and I've said this to you before, and it just makes so much sense to me that God and us, we got like a thousand steps separating us. And God, through Jesus, took 999 steps toward us, but he leaves the last step up to you. And he won't force you to come be part of the life to come. That's up to you. He, he wants you to want it. It doesn't work if you don't want it because he loves you to have free will. He wants you to choose what's right and good and perfect. And we all love you. We love each other. We're here to help each other. Whatever it is that your next step is, you should do it. So we already have had someone last week who followed Jesus and was baptized. We have someone who's going to be baptized today. If you're like, I think I need to do this and I need to do this today, just we're going to sing a song here in a moment. You can just go ahead and start talking. Just come on up and say, hey, I need to do this today. If you're thinking, I need to do this and maybe next week, let's talk after service. But what I would encourage you to do is close that gap between feeling that you need to do something and actually doing it. And I invite you to stand right now. Let me pray. And as we're singing, you just have an honest conversation with God about what he's calling on you to do next. Father, I'm so thankful for those who are here, who every week just try to open themselves up to what it is you're trying to call us to do, what you are calling us to do, and what we're trying to listen to. And Father, I pray that you would just give us the courage and the wisdom, the, the impetus to do the right next thing. So many things that sometimes we feel like, well, we'll get around to it eventually. If it's today, Father, that you know that we need to do this, just make it so clear to each one of us what we should do and, and help us to just have that, that strong desire to just obey you. Jesus, we're thankful that when we claim you, that you in no way are ashamed to claim us. As bad as we are, as sinful as we are, you are more than willing to call us your friends and your family. Thank you, Father, for that love that you have for us, each one of us, that grace, that mercy. And I know you are also a God of justice, and there will come a day when you will judge sin. But I'm so thankful that you've given us a way out through Jesus' life and through his blood and through his sacrifice. And we ask that you will just free us from everything that enslaves us, that you will set us free from the sins that are around us, that you will forgive each one when we call on your name. And we know that you do because you've promised and you always tell the truth. So this morning, will you work? In Jesus' name, amen.